I, I guess I was just projecting on myself. Why, is there a history of genetic abnormalities in your family? No. Well, just find yourself a man with a spotless genetic makeup and a really high tolerance for being second-guessed and start pumping out the little uber-scullies. What about your family? Well, aside from the need for corrective lenses and the tendency to be abducted by extraterrestrials involved in an international governmental conspiracy, the Mulder family passes genetic muster. of the fear of god podcast your favorite podcast my favorite podcast everyone's favorite podcast so we are in the middle literally of a brand new series it is called hashtag tv guideposts my name is nathan rouse i've been with you on 73 previous episodes, including a couple of bonus episodes. So 73, 74, 75. Typically with me is the one and only Mr. Reed Lackey. He did say he was going to be with us in just a minute because he had to go look up the exact way to explain the scientific nature of the whammy. I don't totally know what that means. I've got some suspicions, though. Um, and we are going to hopefully learn all together exactly what it read. You're here. Hello. Hello, my friend. You are the Ray. You, you are the Reyes to my doggett, the Scully to my Mulder. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the Kirsch to my Skinner. Um, you know, the, the, the cry check to my cigarette smoking man. I can go on all day. Wow. You know, wow, you certainly um, can. The, you're at home the, now. In this I, conversation, I, you're already home. I am. I don't know if you're making a reference, but I'm I'm taking I'm, it as one. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to both yes. places. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Thanks. Thank you. So, so Reed, we're in the middle of hashtag TV guideposts. We've got Indeed. a fresh roll of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the pipes are ready for a long visit to grandma's bathroom. Right? Oh, so, that's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> last last week, last week, we had a good time. Um, discussing the Twilight Zone episodes, uh, to serve man and the obsolete man this week. Unbelievably, I would not have thought we would actually end up doing this in our 75 episodes of the fear of God, but we're, we're doing it, man. We are, we make the rules. We do. We are discussing quite unbelievably the X files. And and here we are, like, get, get, ah, I love it. 
Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark Snow. Um, this is going to be the longest Fear of God episode we've ever done because we're just... Because, Four and a half hours. Right, right. Well, last week we just did two episodes profiled on Twilight Zone. This week we actually are doing uh, all 150 or so episodes. Um, <laughs> so buckle just up. one at a time. Yeah. You know, yeah, I hope you've got a lot of toilet paper because we're going to be here a while. Um, <laughs> Watch out for the fluke, man. What? Oh. I like it, Reed. You are my friend. <laughs> that that was good. I dig it. Um, so before we get too far, um, along with the FBI's least wanted, um, we should dive into. See how can you do it? Can you do the song to the tune? Do 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 do. What you watching? What you reading? Do 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 do. What you listening to? Oh my goodness. And the truth is in here. You are welcome. Like, you are welcome. What confluence of cosmic events had to conspire <laughs> that <laughs> that almost 20 years into a friendship, we would have a moment of you to the tune of one of my favorite shows would sing some <laughs> asinine song that we made up that is just about our desire to talk about other crap we're talking about or reading oh, and watching awesome. and listening. What a world we live in. Oh, and many, many days. Terrible. It feels like a pretty terrible one right now. Yeah, like it feels like a pretty great one. All is right. I'm just pushing you home. That's all it is. You, That's you it. are. You are. Just send me back under the bed. And have, have, <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> oh, dude. you never know the pride and the love. Uh uh-uh. Um. So yeah, before before we get there, before we go home. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what it read? What are you watching and or listening to and or reading? <laughs> I've got a couple of books that I wanted to mention. Um. So uh, and the, I'm mentioning them in tandem, not separately, because they're two fiction books by uh, an author. Uh, that at least the name you'll recognize, one Mr. Uh, S. Craig Zoller, uh, writer-director okay. of Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. The what? Bone Tomahawk. Uh, like, Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> We're a Christian show. <laughs> that was the proposed parody version. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, writer-director of Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99, both of which I've seen, both of which I love. Um, he'd written a number of books, a uh, handful, and uh, I've not had the chance to check them out, but I'm checking the first two out right now. I don't know that these were his earliest books, but in conjunction with Bone Tomahawk, which is, of course, a film, he wrote two other novels that are kind of similar in tone, similar in structure, um, Western horror rescue stories. Um, one of them is called Wraiths of the Broken Land, which is the one I'm about halfway through right now, and the other one is called A Congregation of Jackals. Um, I will I will say... That sounds scary. If you, well, if you enjoyed Bone Tomahawk, like, they read exactly like some lost screenplay to a film he hasn't made yet. Like, they read exactly that way. It's the same clipped style to the language, the same great, strong characterization. Uh, I'm only... I have not touched Congregation of Jackals yet, um, but I am about halfway through Wraiths of the Broken Land, and so far, I love it um, because I love him and his storytelling style. So, yeah, highly recommend that for fans of Bone Tomahawk uh, because all of our listeners are also readers. If you're a fan of Bone Tomahawk, uh, they're available on Kindle for, I think, five bucks a piece. Um, Wraiths of the Broken Land and A Congregation of Jackals by S. Craig Zoller. He has a few other books as well, but those are the two I have. So, I presume, I mean, like, was he a novelist turned screenwriter, director? Yes. 
Yes. Sounds, sounds yeah. like it. That's, the, that's, fasc- that's fascinating. Yeah. The novels predate Bone Tomahawk, but uh, yeah, indeed. But not Bone Tomahawk. That's the Bone Tomahawk. Forthcoming sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a profile of the monsters in that movie. Oh, yeah. Bone Tomahawk. What the heck? Welcome to Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> now gonna... it's Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> mm, all right, then. <laughs> I like French fried people. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Humans make me kind of nervous when I eat them. <laughs> One set of water to eat, other set of water's cold. Oh Get it? Um, <laughs> wow, I haven't seen that movie in years, but it's so good. Um, it's great, dude. I had. I, I'm gonna tie my what you're watching, reading, listening to into X Files. Oh boy. Oh in a really lovely way. It's going to be kind of almost poetic. I'm excited. Um, recently, I had the extreme good fortune of getting to see live The Killers just mm. a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta. Um, I know you and I share a mutual admiration for Brandon Flowers and his crew. Indeed. Um, well, dude, oh my gosh. One, if you're not a Killers fan, become a Killers fan. <laughs> two, two, if you are a Killers fan and haven't seen the Killers live, go see the Killers live. It was, I am happy to report. I, so, uh, for Get Out and Raw, I sounded like a, a lethargic monster and felt, <laughs> and felt like one too. Well, I went to this concert. I bought the tickets months ago. So, it's kind of like, well, you go because you bought the ticket. But sure. I felt like a lethargic monster going. I was like, I really probably should not be there. I sure. feel terrible. Sure. I'm going to be in a sea of people um, yeah. with with podcast listener and good buddy Matt Murray. We made the choice as late 30-somethings. Actually, he's probably like mid 30-something. But to get general admission, standing room only. Ooh. I haven't done that in years. Right. Man. However, I was concerned going in. I was like, man. I just need to go sleep in the car and let Matt go enjoy the concert. Aww. But it was it was amazing. It was oh, really was awesome. it really was an amazing show. So I'm how I'm going to tie this into the X Files is the Killers' most recent album is called what? Do you remember? Uh, wonderful. Uh, shoot, nope. Give me a second. Say it again. Say that word again, and you've got it. Wonderful, wonderful. There yes, you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. There you go. Well, bef- after the show ended, as people are leaving the venue. How am I going? Where am I going, Reed? What song did they play that ties into this week's X Files we're talking about? Really? Wonderful, wonderful. Really? They played that really creepy song? Yes. The creepy thing that they were beating up all the people to? Yes. Gosh. Yes. Wow. So, I mean, they're not associating that with X Files, you know, and the Peacock Brothers, but yes. Sure. No, Um, but oh, man. That song, this old, you know, kind of what was that like? um, Probably 50s. Motown era, kind of. Um, No, it it might be Motown, uh, might be doo wop era, might predate. That's actually what I thought first. I thought doo wop, and then I said Motown. I Mm, had it. Yeah, I would have to look it up to know where that song was from, but. Regardless, it's called Wonderful, Wonderful, and it features heavily in this week's. One of this week's episodes of X Files we're talking about. So that's my 
what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. I've got to figure out how to sing this again at some point in time. It's not happening, <laughs> it's not happening today. In the moment, I thought, do I do the X-Files version? Reed did. No, I'm not going to do that. And then I thought, how do I do a killer's version of that? It doesn't work. So that all that happened really quick in a split second. And I just opted sure, to just sure. say it. So real quick, I, I never do this. I'm going to give a few quick shout outs. I'm going to shout out oh, to, Char- sure. okay. to Char- Charlie Baber, Miriam Coles, and Arturo Barrios. These are three <laughs> buddies that after... Like, so my love of X-Files, can I talk about this for a second? Like, do can it, I go, go, go. Are you just going to yeah, let me do it? Yeah. You can, you don't, I mean, if you need to go, like. No, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go beverage. make some dinner and I'll okay. come back <laughs> so, and you just, so, you just have the episode. Like, just go for it. So shout outs to Charlie, Miriam and Arturo. These are my X-Files buddies that I talked to online. Two of them know each other. The third one doesn't know either of them. It, it doesn't matter because we talk about the show and there are others of you I know, but those three most notably I wanted to shout out. So lost inherited kind of the x-files mantle for me ultimately Mm. like i adore this show and i'm gonna give a brief peek behind the curtain here i've referenced x-files multiple times through the course of the fear of god's history i started in um uh in high school i tried to watch it one night kind of like pig doctors in twilight zone i turned (laughs) to an x-files episode one night in high school that was from season three or four called the war of the coprophages, which is about little nanobot roaches that get under these potheads or crackheads really skin. And it scared the crap out of me. I didn't watch it again until college. Um, I guess I should shout out to Derek Futrell. Shout out Derek, pour a cold one out for you, brother. Um, and Derek Futrell predates Reed as my roommate in college. And, how this random so this this is a really fun story <laughs> in in college at gardner webb circa 1999 and 2000 goodness gracious reed that was a long time ago i don't even want to think about it at know. that moment in history on fx x files was airing in syndication sure sure okay and because fox owned fx mm-hmm. fox pioneered the x files um, it, this was right at season five ish of the X-Files. So right around the release of, uh, fear, uh, fight the future, the first feature film on FX at 10 30 at night, the golden girls came on. <laughs> so Derek Futrell and I would watch the golden girls as a lead into the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a yes. <laughs> yes. And it just became this thing. So for months, we were catching up. This is when, do you remember that video store on the corner in Shelby? Oh, of course uh, across from yeah. what is yeah. now, I think, the McDonald's. We would, I would I think go, I watched every movie they had twice. <laughs> yes. We have, you and I have fond memories of there browsing the aisles and noting sure, movies yeah. we watched or hadn't seen. They also, at that point in time, had VHS collections of X-Files episodes. Mm. So like, cause they did these little packaged releases of them. This is pre, sure, sure. this is for you young bucks. This is pre DVD. Yeah. This is pre Not even D. We talk about the, so please hold your, hold your story. Yeah, we, do it. we talk about, you know, the Netflix model of dropping all the season at one time. Right. I know, and you're going to be, you're going to be proud of me. I know for a fact that the first ever major studio to release, I know what you're about to say, to release a season of television on DVD was when Fox released season one of the X-Files. That's right. The very first ever (laughs) 
commercial release of hey you can take this season home and just watch it whenever you want to watch it and, and to show you how season one of x-files to show you how far we've come i believe those initial seasons they started wising up later on as it became a more mass produced sure you sure. know uh media and distribution those initial seasons were like 150 bucks i did not remember that but wow yeah yeah i think then ultimately at a certain point they got to like 100 and that became like the standard for like Sure, for a full season yeah right yeah, yeah. anyway so catching up with the x-files and the golden girls on fx but having no idea like where this fell this is early internet days dude this is crazy town we're talking about this and yeah. so early internet early internet days so you're kind of like it's funny this is all tying into fear of god joe hill oh yeah yeah sure stephen king's son hear me i love digital media I, I yeah. more or less exclusively operate that way these days. He had an interesting tweet this week about the era of actually searching for a piece of media. I guess, you know, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the day when you had to go to the CD store, the music store and look when hope and, and maybe discover and something new or something you were looking for very similarly in that particular era of, in, that I'm talking about here of X-Files I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but it's, I'm so captivated and they're airing it in order, but it's in syndication. So you don't sure. have whatever came before. So I would go to this video store and rent these sets of VHSs. Wow. And yeah, man, That's awesome. my wife makes fun of me because she's like, I worry about the day when you don't know pertinent family information, but you can rattle off the names of X-Files episodes. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> true. It's uh, true. X Files and Trivial Bits. So now I'm pivoting. Was a who's who of 90 stars. Jack Black, Giovanni mm. Ribisi, Lucy Liu. Like yes. all these people you can point to. And they got this read. I love the X Files. I know. I know. I I'm very do. happy for I you. Can't. I was excited when we were going to get to get to this episode because I, want, yeah, I just want, I don't want this podcast to end. Like, I know. We'll just, I know. It will okay. someday, but that yes, <laughs> but not this day, not but this not this day. day. <laughs> um, so okay, so that's my walk down memory lane. Sure. What sure. what what what? You know, were you a casual fan at a certain point? Did it kind of pass you by in the initial airings? And I'm gonna I'm gonna cut myself off. I'm gonna cut you off. I remember. <laughs> I remember. I am. So we're in this strange era we're in with digital, you know, media res- resurrections of TV shows. I remember watching the finale, the first finale, series finale of the X Files, in the stupid Lost Colony outdoor drama, like <laughs> cabin, with some dude I just met who happened to be an X Files fan. And I was like, "Where is Charlie freaking Baber right now?" He's <laughs> name dropping in. Uh, because oh I just watched it by myself and I teared up, yeah. but I could, but I couldn't cry because re- I'm with this weirdo dude. Anyway, go ahead. But I remember you were so excited and, and wanted to experience this, that when we were in California together, like uh-huh. listeners may not know that we, uh, lived for a brief period of time. We moved out to California together before you moved back home to start yes. a family. And we, uh, we were out there and you showed me. The finale, the series finale of X Files. Really? I had I had not seen the entire like season that totally out of context. It, yeah, totally out of context. But you were just like, I just want you to watch this because Mulder has a cross at the end and he gets saved and it's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
and so, and so wow. and, I can, and I can remember like I can remember sitting there because there was one moment and you outside of the context of the episode you're probably not going to remember it but I remember this very well because I am not as funny as you are and there was a moment where we were watching this episode I'm seeing it for the first time and I don't frequently especially if it's important media to my friends and loved ones I don't uh, mystery science theater a first viewing of it sure, because they, sure. you know you love it and I don't want to insult you by mystery science theatering it and all this other sort of stuff but there was a moment where Skinner walks into a room and when Skinner <laughs> walks into the room it's an empty boardroom and he's looking around now in the context of the episode I think he's distraught because of whatever meeting is going to take place but I remember he walked in and he's just kind of surveying the room and I spontaneously said in Skinner voice I said I've walked into the wrong room. I don't know where I am. <laughs> and you busted out laughing and it was fun. But no, like my experience with X-Files. So I'm going to give a brief shout out to my father-in-law. Uh, Ned nice. is a huge Ned. fan. And, and I'm going to give Ned some props because he was on Team Nathan come Stranger Things season two. What up, Ned? Why you got to make my family enter into a civil I'm war? I'm doing it. No, there's no, there's nothing civil about this Because he's going to listen war. to this episode. Yeah. And, and he will Good. he will comment Ned, on all the trivial bits I'm and on, everything. I'm on Team Ned, all right? So, so he is a huge X-Files fan, devotee. He still has X-Files comic books um, that, that are probably worth nothing. But, like, he's, he's <laughs> a very I like how you fan. said that so strongly and, like, declared. He still has those comic books. They're, they're not really worth anything. <laughs> Though you are quite I mean, right, they are really not worth anything. They're, they're essentially glorified toilet paper at this point. That is awful. I'm not it, is, it is TV guide. No, so uh, no. Sincerely though, like um, so he's a, a very avid fan. I cannot, in fairness to fans like yourself and my father-in-law, I cannot call myself a fan i there are still like i have not seen entire seasons i don't think there's a single season of x files except for the most recent revival which was only six episodes that i have seen all of sure. um i mean i have seen and half of those were decent, garbage go ahead <laughs> right i have seen a decent handful of episodes probably from most seasons if not every season i would say in total i've probably seen maybe 15 to 20 episodes i did a big sort of get myself acclimated to it watch of several episodes to prepare for this podcast but um but yeah i've seen a handful i've seen some of the major ones i, I actually think i've seen all of if not most of season one and two um but then uh, i definitely did not watch it faithfully during its first run but i've picked up episodes here or there and sort of the iconic ones uh ones that you've shared with me just on a on a lark one given night when we'd be roommates um but uh, but yeah i i do I do love the X-Files. I do have a strong affection for its general theme, its premise, the characters of Mulder and Scully. I just would do it would be um, a disservice to call myself a fan when there are fans who are far more devoted. I mean, they had X-Files parties. My sister was a fan. They would have X-Files parties to to have, you know, the the next episode has debuted. And so they'd invite friends over and everything. I was that definitely sound, not in that camp. That sounds so glorious. I know, right? Yeah, it's just there. It is. And before, on a purely um, business note, it is worth mentioning if you have, uh, we mentioned last week with Twilight Zone where you can find that all of the X Files is streaming on Hulu right now, the entire series. Yes. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the bulk of it, uh, seasons three through five are largely considered its peak. Um, but but in any given season, even outside of those, there's a good smattering of five to ten episodes that are going to be pretty strong i would be happy to curate a list perhaps for the facebook page of uh you know favorite episodes of the x-files and one's worth no, your time see 
Hey, you know, maybe that's not, we didn't mention this for Twilight Zone, but maybe that's not a bad idea. Like, just, just a handful of, hey, if you want to check out more of this show, I'll do one for Twilight Zone. You can do one for X-Files, and, and yeah, that'll be, that'll be great. That makes me happy. So, specifically today, we, we went a little bit around on one of them, the, uh, so, so like Twilight Zone, um, we are discussing two specific episodes. One of them was pretty in stone from the get go. And if you're familiar with yeah. the series at all, um, you will know, as we've referenced, that episode is home from season four. Yeah. Season four. I think it's like episode two. The only episode it of is. the X Files and it's, now 11 seasons i guess you'd call 10 a season um that was banned from re-airing on network tv after its initial broadcast mm-hmm. um yep it is rough but so we are discussing home we went round and round on what to pair it with we did ultimately decide on pusher which is i believe a season three episode um is. that is more kind of thriller based which is it's a really I, I like that episode a whole lot me too so I think what we'll do, Reed, if it's all right with you, we'll maybe do a little differently than we did last week and approach the likes, dislikes, scares by episode. Um, sure. That's kind like, of, yeah, I'm fine with that. And then kind of pull some themes from between the two. Um, let's start, if it's okay, with Pusher, just since it's a little less in the heavy horror camp than Home is. Sure. I'm fine with that. This is, for those who are like, what in the world? The, my, whammy convers- my whammy note from the top of the episode is a reference to a line in pusher so reed it's funny well listeners one other we considered for the podcast was squeeze which features the character eugene victor tombs who becomes kind of a legacy villain in the series does show up again i don't have imdb in front of me to remember the actor's name but he's in you'd recognize him he's in several other feature films uh, over the course of time most most notably to my recollection in the green mile written by stephen king see it all comes back around uh, yeah. Oh, comes back around. Yeah. Time is a time is a face on the water. Cause <laughs> a circle. Um, Indeed. What you might not know, Reed, is uh, Robert Modell, the character who is Pusher in the episode Pusher, actually mm-hmm. is a legacy villain as well. He is. He shows back up. Uh, I didn't know that. In, in the, season six. No, season, season five. Season five, actually. Yeah. Ki- Kitsunagari. Mm-hmm. which is a Japanese word that I don't remember the meaning of. It's actually a really bad episode. I don't know if you ended up watching it. Oh, I didn't um, watch that. I was tempted I mean, to, it's, but it's, I checked a few others out. It's largely stuff. forgettable. It is interesting. X-Files has this habit of, as I guess you could make a Hollywood comparison here too, like they'll introduce a real memorable villain, like yeah. to- like Tombs, like Pusher. There's Donnie Faster is a is a bad guy of this you know, um, sexual deviant character that preys on Scully who shows up more than once mm. and they just, they'd never, they'll bring him back. And it's like, meh. Eh, you, oh, you didn't yeah. know. Now squeeze and tombs is good. Like those are pretty strong. I did see both uh, of those in my yeah. little big catch up watch. And yeah, I liked both of them. I think they work really well. If you were to take like, well, they're also in the same season. They're both from right, season one. Right, right. So tonally, they're very similar. But yeah, if you were to take them as like an extended hour and a half movie, like they work. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, yeah it's really good. Um, I'm talking a lot. What are your general reactions to Pusher? So I, I really, I, I did not realize until his name popped up in the credits that it was written by Vince Gilligan of breaking bad very cool so yeah i was did you know in general that gilligan oh yeah i mean yeah. gilligan's one of the 
all-stars of X-Files. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I knew that he had gotten his start on X-Files. I just didn't know which episodes he had written. Sure, so when sure, I saw sure. his name pop up in the credits, I was like, oh, dang, that's cool. Um, no, I really liked Pusher. I mean, it's so funny. We're talking about both of them, and I'll save my home conversation for when we get there. But uh, both of these episodes, I think, I, I just love personally. And I know there's probably two camps, people who like the mythology episodes where it's furthering a singular story that builds up over time. Personally, I love the X-Files that really works for me, probably because I haven't seen whole sections of seasons and don't know a ton of the mythology and only know sort of uh, referential touch points. The episodes that I'm a really big fan of are these sort of monster of the week episodes where it's right, just, right. you've got Mulder, you've got Scully, occasionally Skinner will show up as he does in both of these. Well, Skinner doesn't show up at home, but he shows up in Pusher. And so it's like, you know, I, I love that it's just this is our team and this is the monster of the week. And I just I love that format. Right. So right. I think Pusher is really great for that. Um, but I feel like Pusher is definitely it's fascinating on a thematic level as well, which we'll get to in terms of this concept of there's a couple of different places you could go. But I thought the character of Robert Modell was a really interesting character, far more interesting, I will say, than, say, like a Eugene Toombs, who I think is a strong monster. I think it's a right, strong monster right, villain. Right. But Robert Modell is a more interesting character. He's got sure. more complexity to him, a lot more nuance to his um, to his motivations and to his danger. So, um, yeah. So, I no, I thought I thought Pusher was really, really strong. Well, and do, I'll say the me, same thing for home when we get there. Do me a favor. Um, I want to. I want to unpack your mythology note a second ago. But after I do that, if you'll, because I am talking a lot, if you'll give a brief kind of synopsis of Pusher, just so because you know, I mean, uh, yeah. movies movies are a little different. Some listeners might be intimidated. Hey, regardless of what you guys say, there's 11 seasons of this show. I don't really care. I just want to hear y'all talk. Thank you for wanting to listen to us talk, but it is, it is worth summarizing so they know, but it's funny you reference the mythology, you know, that, that college version of me that, that ate up every crumb of mythology of X-Files because that was my first encounter with this type of serialized storytelling. Sure. Um, well, on like broad, like a television, I, I've been a comic book nerd for years and years, which is only exists in the world of serialized storytelling, but it's fascinating. The X-Files became a cautionary tale to its successor shows like interesting, like your, like your losts. I mean, if you go and dig up Damon Lindelof and Carlton Q's interviews, I guarantee you, you're going to see many references to X-Files because it became this cautionary tale of what happens when you don't know where you're going. Like oh, Chris Carter, developing this mythology this sort of spine for this show that in the first four or five seasons you're really captivated by you're like oh my gosh where are they going what's happening Mulder's this who's that smoking man's a what right you know like the aliens are who and they're doing what with what and it gets to a point where it just the the scale tilts in such a way that you're like Hmm. oh you guys have no idea what you're doing um, oh, to the point that there is so much more value in the monster of the week stuff. Like even now, uh, with these revival series, um, sure. the, the, what, what is called season 10 or whatever it is, the quote unquote mythology stuff of that season is, is, is I will say it, it's garbage. It's garbage. Mm-hmm. It's incomprehensible. It, it, it's, it's inaccessible. It's contradictory. And it's like, guys, it, I've made the analogy personally of, George Lucas and Star Wars to Chris Carter and X-Files is like, 
you you made the beautiful little baby that needs to be tended by somebody else. Like oh, you, mm. whenever Chris Carter gets his hands back on the X Files, it just leads to ugliness. Anyway, um, so yeah, brief note on mythology for people who are interested in that kind of stuff, but uh, unpack Pusher exactly for us. Sure. So the basic premise of Pusher in brief is that um, there the there have been a series of deaths uh, which were originally deemed suicides that then this character, Robert Modell, comes out and says, no, I actually murdered these people. So when the FBI begin to pursue this lead and they f- track him down, it, it quickly becomes apparent that he is somehow subliminally pushing these people, hence the title, he's subliminally pushing these people to, um, he sort of alters their reality. So they will either see something or not see something that is really there, and then the resulting effect of that is that they will kill themselves. They'll end their life uh, because of his push. So um, he basically pushes them in that direction, and Mulder, who puts all of this kind of together, Modell begins to see him to see Mulder as a worthy adversary, a worthy opponent, and so tries to lure him in for a kind of a mano a mano with that. And then it's revealed also that the character of Modell is uh, dying because of some. Uh, now I apologize. Brain for tumor. This. It's a brain tumor. Brain tumor. Yeah, yeah. So the, which is responsible for giving him this ability, right? Right. It, it awakens right. this genetic latency that causes him to have this ability, and so that's the that's the general premise of the narrative. I don't know how much you want me to tell about no, like, the ending and where things yeah. go, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, as as you your description would have alluded to, it ends with a sort of intellectual or more like a battle of wills between Modell and Mulder. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting correlation there uh, with mm-hmm. the names. Um, we can, we can move into kind of likes, dislikes if you want. Sure. Uh, something, sure. Something that I actually forgot about this episode, but really loved in revisiting it, loved rediscovering and revisiting the episode is while the general arc of the Mulder character in the series is one as sort of believer and, pursuer of the supernatural or extraterrestrial kind of stuff. What this episode reminds us, and this is established very early in the series, but doesn't get a lot of play throughout it or enough play perhaps is the, the bedrock of the character is as this like expert FBI profiler. He is, Mm. he's just really good at assessing personality and persons and, and, you know, motivations and things like that. It reminds we will never miss a chance to talk about Batman, right? It reminds me of people, <laughs> writers uh, of the comic and or expressions of the Batman character in media that tend to ignore or dramatically play down the detective nature of the character in favor of more sure, right. fisticuffs or, you know, super heroics where it's like, well, you do a little disservice to the character by ignoring that because that's the firmament he was created upon. And so sure, it was, it's sure. kind of cool. I don't know if you if that pinged for you, but I just love how in this particular episode that really comes to light. It's not just you're an FBI agent and thus are def- by default equipped with some intu- intuition. It's no, you are very good at profiling people. Yeah. You know, it's funny because it, uh, with the episodes that I've seen, I never picked up on that specific bit of information. But it makes so much sense now with so much that I've seen, because that's really what he brings to the table. Scully right. brings this deep seated scientific knowledge to the table. And then Mulder brings this this ability to sort of assess the characteristics of a person that they're pursuing. And sure. yeah, and, and that's part of what makes their team so dynamic. Um, yeah, I had never thought about it in those specific contexts, but it makes perfect sense. 
absolutely. I I was going to wait and let you say it because I'm sure this is on both of our likes, dislikes, but man, that climactic scene in Pusher, like oh, the, yeah. the Russian yeah. roulette scene, yes. it is as nerve wracking as anything that I have seen on an episode of television. It is really tense, very strong. I knew, I knew because this is season three of an 11 season arc and I just watched more recent episodes that Mulder survives and I'm still sitting there like, what, what's about to happen? I have no idea what's about to happen. The yeah. oxygen is going on in the room and if he, if he fires it and it pings, it could blow everything up and what's about to happen, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a great, great scene. Yeah, and and what has transpired is is that Modell has lured Mulder into a uh, an adversarial moment, and that particular moment is Modell exerting his will over Mulder to engage in a Russian roulette sort of game with him. And it, uh, yeah, it's very tense uh, from a production standpoint. Both the actors are sweating real profusely, but not in like this yeah. fake, silly way. But um, you know, then Scully enters the scene and and is threatened by Mulder, and it was just sure, a really, sure. it's a really great. That scene is a good microcosm of X Files at its strongest, you know, which yeah, is just no, the the care the two of those characters have for each other, especially when pitted against something kind of monstrous. I'm sure you caught this, old Curtis from Twenty Four. As the FBI agent. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, the I checkout sure line. I sure did. Yeah, that was nice. And like you said, it's a who's who of stars. Yeah, right. Who's who of future stars. Exactly. Right. Uh-huh. I love, I wrote, as my final kind of like dislike, I love the scene. Because this whole episode, and maybe you'll get to this thematically, is about exertion of will and manipulation and a person, a, a person's agency or not within their own faculties. And there's this great moment that's real subversive from a scripting standpoint. So yay, Vince Gilligan, you'll go on to great things where Modell has been under testimony uh, as Mulder is trying to get him arrested or, or some, I don't remember the exact circumstances of it, but Modell wriggles out of it because of yeah. these manipulative abilities where the two of them encounter each other on a stairwell and Modell basically, basically is like, I told you I'd get out, didn't I? And they bet this. each other five bucks. And Mulder just has this great moment. And he just says, hey, your shoe's untied. And Modell looks down and then Mulder says, made you look. It's just this great, like, oh, that's, awesome. that's great. That's a rich line. You know, it's, it's. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, because then he, and, and he follows it up. Mulder, after says, made you look, he looks at him. And he's like, how do you do it? And I'm oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, that is yeah. this. That was such because it isn't just like you know that's great. The major look thing could have easily been like a jokey thing, right. but that. But when Mulder says, "How do you do it?" That's what pits them as rivals. Sure, like he's sure. like, I don't have your supernatural ability, but right, but I'm on right, to you. Like, right, I, like right. I, I can take you. And I was like, oh man, that was great. Yeah, yeah. it was killer. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any uh, like any what you would call quote unquote scares. I mean the the moment where the officer. Um, sets himself on fire is pretty like upsetting and nerve wracking, but it's television, so it's handled very you know quickly and you know disarmingly. But but well, yeah, that's Im- really the Im- only thing. I imagery wise, I agree with you, but I have that on my scares list. And yes, it's it's television, so there's going to be a little less uh, graphic or, or amplification of what we might normally find in features gruesomeness. But, yeah. but what you left out in describing that scene of him setting himself a blaze is he looks at Mulder and Scully and the other detective on the scene and yells, stop me. Like, he yes. can't. Yeah. he's about to set himself on fire and he's pleading with them to stop him and they don't get there in time. It's really, yeah. 
freak, freaky and, and 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 creepy. Distressing. I, I wrote down I wrote down Cerulean Blue as a scare just because <laughs> that's a great scene and yeah. that moment or, or very early in the episode. Modell uses this kind of linguistic mantra to lure someone who's arrested him, a cop that's arrested him to drive out in front of a semi truck. And sure. as fantastical as that moment is from a purely narrative standpoint, it sets this tone of what happens when you can't control yourself and, and put yourself in dramatically in harm's way. You know what I mean? Like that, I don't know. Right, I, I, right, that really resonated with me as sort of a, a scary idea. So, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think Burst's death is a pretty tragic moment. When, oh yeah, when he's on the phone, on the I phone. I kind of saw. Him. I kind of knew. Yeah, I kind of knew. Like he's not going to make it out of the episode. Yeah, well, he's toying with still, him the whole time. It's still upsetting. Yeah. Now I want to. Uh, this this may feel a bit jarring or feel a bit dramatic, but uh, or like uh, I don't know. This might feel a bit jarring, but I want to kind of save some thematic conversation until after we sort of address home because we are covering two here. Yeah. Did you have anything else before we sort of lead into no, to home and assess that one really? Quickly? Want to go to home, Pennsylvania, to the Peacock House <laughs> and see <sighs> what what sort of shenanigans we can get into here with those oh boys and, and and old Mrs. Peacock. So yes, this is. Any any list of not just scariest but greatest X Files episodes is is an incorrect list if it doesn't include home somewhere near the top. You had not seen it, right? No, this was one. This was one. Well, both Pusher and Home were first viewings for me for this podcast. Um, I had not seen either of them, and yeah, what I love about Home is Home is. Take take it out of the context of the larger series of the X Files. Sure, Home is a great scary short story. Yes. It's great. Yes. I mean, I don't want I don't want to discount the characters of Mulder and Scully, but substitute different FBI agents, and you've got a killer, you know, forty five minute movie, short movie. Right. Like it is really strong and complete, and you know, it's it leaves it open for a sequel. But my understanding is they don't revisit the Peacock family during the run of the show, do they? No, no, not at yeah, all. Yeah, so it, but. Despite the fact that it is as open for a sequel as any of the other episodes, right, right. Um, but uh, but no, I thought yeah, I thought it was really strong. What you just said and piggybacking on the mythology comment I went on a minute ago, like I think that's one of the strengths of the X Files as a series, and what ultimately, as the mythology buried itself, I I, I still wish there was a world in which because the because the series architecture can function this way. Of just Mulder and Scully on random adventures. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. yeah. That's fun and compelling. You you grow to really like those characters a lot and their relationship. Absolutely. Especially in an interesting way where they are right now in this current revival. I love the treatment of them as sort of matured, aged, kind of like yes. been been around the block, have this really sweet relationship with each other that because it's funny, I thought about this recently. You saw not forehead sweat, but the one before it, which was about the. I've seen all of the new season. Yeah. Well, remember, um, there's this really lovely scene of of Scully talking. Oh, that was with the twins, which is a really odd yes. premise. But that's really lovely scene of her just talking about aging and and maternity. Yeah. And, and oh yeah, I was like, wow, like this show could not have done that scene ten years ago. 
No. And, and talking about like, uh, if she wants to have another child and well, what are you waiting for? And yeah, it's, 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 it was really delicately handled in a way yeah. that I found impressive. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Especially cause it goes on for a while. Like that scene yeah. really, we're talking about home. I know, but, um, that was a really powerful, uh, sort of example of what the show can do really well. So, um, you synopsized, I made that word up a uh, pusher. So home, the this tiny little country backwoods town um they find a a dead uh baby uh buried uh just outside the property line of this this home this house this rundown yes. sort of farmhouse and the 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 eight our agents are thinking that these three brothers that the local sheriff tips them off live in the home have a woman captive that, that one of them may have impregnated the baby was born it died and or was killed and was buried so that becomes the springboard for their involvement what you find is far more freaky and Ugh. scary and horror movie sort of uh trappings is that this is a family of inbred siblings and who is actually not held captive but held quite within her will is their mother uh who yeah. is who is a paraplegic not a paraplegic a, a multi- multiple amputee quadriplege yeah yeah does is that a reference to amputation i don't know i'm not a i'm not a medical i'm no scully um <laughs> but but they are keeping her and she's willingly being kept for their use and propagation of the peacock tribe uh anyway so it becomes this really grotesque story about this inbred family and 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 so yeah. that's that is the the premise and set up for home um it's one of those ideas that is that like because it got a tvma in its initial broadcast right and it is one of those ideas that even if the even if the episode itself did not have any sort of graphic scenes in it it's one of the few that it's like well just the concept is yeah very yeah. mature and is very sure. uh, graphic. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it's funny rewatching it for our conversation. I was like, man, this is heavy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, specifically some of the, the, the dealings with the little baby at the opening of the episode. It's, it's just really, oh, it's yeah. really pretty tragic. Um, I've got a question for you before we fully kind of ensconce ourselves in likes, dislikes and scares. Did you, and and maybe your your familiarity with this type of material permitted you intellectually to forestall making a an assumption about what was really going on but did you see the mother aspect being what it was in other words did you did you think they yeah. okay. like the oh but i mean like no i called it from i had never seen the episode did not know about it i said to myself like I, I'm, I'm not always this intuitive or tapped into what it is, but I, I thought to myself, that's that's their mother that has given birth to that baby. That, I thought it's either their mother or their sister. Gotcha. And, gotcha. and so I so I did not realize until the final revelation that it's like, no, this is this is their mother also right. doing it. But I, I knew it was a fellow family member. I knew as, a po- as opposed to like an independent female they've captured and yes. like that. Yeah. Yes. And the biggest reason I knew that is because this is going to sound silly, but any other show would have shown us the damsel in distress. 
any other show would, if they yeah. had a kidnapped yeah. victim look at there's you. no reason not to show us yeah so You're i was like the fact fella. that they're not showing us <laughs> uh, i'm also a writer so you know it's like i know some of the tips and tricks it's like okay well yeah you you would there's no reason not to show the victim unless right. there's a reason not to show the victim right so i was right, like right. okay it's it's a family member of some sort um, look so, at, yeah. i'm so impressed with you um <laughs> you'll appreciate this on my likes dislikes list i wrote this is inspired by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> oh, I do appreciate that. That's actually not what I thought you were going, but, yeah, but yes, indeed, that is a... Uh, I thought frequently of Texas Chainsaw Massacre while I'm watching this, this episode. Where I thought you were going was the moment that I actually guffawed out loud when in this moment in the episode when the sheriff comes and introduces himself right after Mulder says, yeah, it's like Mayberry. And yeah. he says, I'm Sheriff Andy Taylor. And he goes, for real? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, <laughs> says, it's for so real? good. And then it was great because then later they meet the deputy and the deputy's name is Barney. He's like, this is my deputy Barney. And they're like, Fife? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, no, Pastor. Right, and Barney right. Pastor is his name. And I'm just like, this is great. This is fantastic. Well, what's so great about it is they don't, wink at you at all you know like no, those, no, to, no. The, to those characters it's just it is what it is um, yeah. oh it's so great but yeah no. that that's that's that moment's definitely on my likes dislikes but yeah I, I just thought this you know off the beaten path kind of farm booby trapped farmhouse in the woods you know i'm like sure, this is so sure. texas chainsaw massacre what are some what are some likes dislikes for you well, uh, I already mentioned the Mayberry one. Uh, like I said, I just love the construction of the story. I think the I think the story itself is very tight. Unlike Pusher, where like I have a lot of likes, dislikes, but not a lot of scares. Um, my likes, dislikes, essentially, are the things that I find creepy and scary about this one. So we'll okay. we'll, well yeah, let, let's I've just sort of likes, amalgam dislikes. them all together. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, let's just amalgam them all together, and I'll just I'll rattle off mine, and then you rattle off yours. Uh, so the the two major ones that I was going to list, and probably one of them is on yours is obviously the death of said Sheriff Andy Taylor uh, set That's to the music rough. you referenced earlier. Yeah. That's such a um, rough scene. This, this jaunty, very lovely, uh, you know, song about wonderful, wonderful, that's sweet and melodic while they are destroying him and his wife with a baseball bat is just and i mean most of the stuff is not physically shown but enough is shown right that you're like oh my well what lord to me to me what makes that scene so tragic uh, isn't just the murder of them but she is watching from under the bed who because he has yes. he has hidden her away under the bed knowing they've shown up um he's being mutilated by them while she's observing and you actually this is this is true i didn't remember if she got found or not so Mm -hmm. so in that moment you think well maybe she'll get it maybe they'll leave and they do not leave they do not find her well what's brilliant about that scene you mentioned in pusher i know Mulder and scully are going to survive but i'm still feeling the tension of the, the moment do you remember leading up to that scene this is something i think i have on like dislikes is the setup of you you see the peacock boys get in the car and start mm-hmm. driving well their journey is intercut with shots of each of the protagonists Mulder Scully and Andy Taylor alone yes so yes. you're That's again right. you're pretty positive you don't know where they're going right right right, right. so it's a really great send up or setup that you're like oh, i don't know where they're going to 
I, yeah, uh, I, I loved that setup. Uh, that scene is heartbreaking. The Sheriff Andy stuff is, is great. One of my favorite X-Files scenes in the canon is Mulder and Scully in the pig pen. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, Mulder's line. Bah, ram you. Oh, that's great. That's great. Bah, bah ram you. She's like, I, I watched, I was at my nephew's this weekend and he watched this over and over. Um, <laughs> but then there's this great line. Mulder has such wonderful lines, uh, when Chris Carter's not writing them. He but, um, he says, Scully, would you think less of me as a man if I told you I was pretty excited right now? It's when they're <laughs> trying to get all herd all these pigs out of this pen uh, yes. to, to distract the peacocks, but that was such a great oh my scene. Gosh. Yeah, no, no, that was a really wonderful scene. Um, the uh, the the second thing, the only thing that I was going to mention is just the final confrontation in the house when they're like it's classic. Uh, monster who won't die stuff when like Scully empties her clip into yeah. that one brother uh, and then he just keeps coming yeah. and I'm just like oh good lord I don't know how like Mulder and Scully are not especially Scully is not an imposing right, individual right, right. physically so like how in the world are they going to get out of this so yeah that was really tense and, and very effectively executed this this could easily be part of scares but I have under kind of likes dislikes is like actually what I wrote down is this episode is so effed up uh but i used <laughs> e-f-f-e-d because i don't cuss ever never never um but the opening teaser of the brother weeping while they bury the baby do you remember oh, that Oh man yeah like yeah oh yeah what a great moment to watch these monsters and they are monsters you know oh no question yeah, ha- yeah. exhibit this sort of what one might call humanity over one of them's having lost the baby they sired, however, yes, by however that baby might have been sired and by whom. Um, so that was pretty rough. Un- under scares, um, I wrote the baby at the bat, which is just the pickup baseball game at the Ooh. opening, which is terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, I wrote the baby in the bathroom, which is clearly, I, as anyone should, you know, the scene of a destroyed baby. Goodness gracious, we've got to get off of this theme. Yeah. Uh, mother. Yeah, um, no, no kidding. Oh. I know, but the bathroom scene where Scully is examining the body is really rough. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a he- it's a heavy and graphic episode, no question about it. I, I, I wrote down the line, I'm hungry. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, last kind of scare is just mrs peacock reacting when they find her under the bed that's yes terrible i mean this shrieking you know sort of response because they're they they they're still under the impression this is someone held against their will yeah oh yeah and so then and they're trying to comfort her and they're trying to say like we're gonna get you help we're gonna get you out and it's like uh no and that's that i loved this uh you know the title of the episode and they're like we're gonna get you home and then i think it's scully says she is home when she yeah. notices or yeah. she notices the picture. Yeah. She's like, yeah. no, she is home. Like, the, you know, that big revelation, right. uh, really, really strong stuff. Yeah. Very good. It reminded me of something it may sound a little odd, but it actually reminded me of the discovery of sloth in seven. Like, yeah. uh, you know, maybe just a figure tied to a bed, but a grotesque figure tied to the bed. That's sort of wriggling and writhing against its restraints. And yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very, very creepy. 
Well, um, do you, do you well, feel I'm gonna like... Let you, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm going to let you... Uh, and I have a couple of thoughts on each one, but I'm going to let you sort of lead the charge here as we venture into themes uh, to tie these to tie these two wonderful episodes together, if you want. Um. Well, uh, yeah, I am... I, I feel like... And maybe you'll find some common threads, but I feel like thematically they're a little bit disparate. So, uh, you know... I agree. Um, no, I agree. I think we can start with Pusher. There are several ways you could word this. What I wrote down is a paraphrase of Paul, the apostle, that just says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I do, I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's such a powerful, make the Pusher character more a metaphor, and just the ways we become enslaved to impulses um or or behaviors or pathologies that are not true evidences of our best self uh, uh, of of us in our agency but are expressions of you know we've talked on the show before about you know in the nature of like zombies and stories and things like that like how your addictions and and your habits can automate you in, in dreadful ways. And on top of that, so, so there's the sort of individualized version of that, you know, like I am, uh, you know, h- how much we, we reference it a little bit on twilight zone, you know, how much am I acting independently as an agent of my own right. best self? And how much am I the, summation of the influences on me and it does make me sure it does ring out a little bit um this idea of you can't serve two masters or take on my yes, right. yoke because my burden is easy you know like you are going to be mechanized by a thing you know yes. and, and we right. want we want to believe that thing is our independent self but it but it often is not and and what i wrote down too that can be kind of compounded on that and i want to hear your thoughts but it's just media manipulation like factors that people don't realize they're they are at the mercy of a system that wants them to buy a thing or wants them to do a thing or wants them to go see a thing like you know you could you could in a real blase way, be like, well, that's a commercial. Yes, it is a commercial, but this is why they say children exposed to enough things. This is why we, we were very intentional about the methods our children watched TV growing up because it was like, mm. I don't, I don't want commercials in my home. I don't, I don't, I see. Right, right. Forgive, forgive me if, if, if there are parents who listen and, and this is not your situation, but like, you know, you see the kids at the store begging for the thing and throwing the temper tantrum. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do as much as I can to mitigate that by just not sure. Of course. Inundating you with promotional material, you know, right. That sort oh, of yeah. Thing. oh yeah. Any, anyway. So those are some, some thoughts stirring as far as pusher is concerned. Sure. Sure. And I would totally, I would wholeheartedly agree with them now to, you know, the don't feel too bad. Uh, my, my son is one of those children who like, he sees something at a toy he wants at the store and he, he just wants it. Now, some of that is just what he's just fascinated by stuff. Right, so right, he just right, wants right, right, stuff, right. you know, it did not necessarily advertising, but, um, but you know, I definitely think that there is, yeah, like we talked about uh, or touched on it at least a bit last week is I definitely think there are ways in which we can get pushed 
one direction or another, not only in our desires or in our habits or in our behavior, but also in our ideologies and the ways we think about certain things, um, the ways that certain people groups are depicted on screen are going to influence the way you think about those people groups. And, and there's all these different sort of atoms bouncing around in our brains that influence and affect uh, what we do. We were just having a conversation. My, my, my wife and I uh, just had to because my son's in kindergarten now, and so he's hearing about things at kindergarten that other kids are interested in, and he comes back and he wants to check those things out, and we were looking at this one particular thing, and the moment I checked it out, uh, this thing that his uh, friends at school had told him about, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You are not going to. It was a it was a uh, animated character singing a little jaunty song. But the lyrics of the song were very, very adult. And I was like, no, 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 no. You are not going to listen to this right now. And we we struggled with this a little bit. And we had the conversation where we were like, we don't want to be the parents that just shut it down. We don't want to be the parents that just say, hey, you can't engage with this thing or that thing. But we also didn't want to be irresponsible with the influences that were coming into his life and the things right. that were pushing him in one direction or another. And so it was actually wound up being a relatively good moment. I sat down and uh, Jen and I both had a, a conversation with him where we were just like, <clears throat> we just said, what you let into your brain affects how you think. And eventually, if it stays in your brain long enough, it'll get down into your heart and it'll affect how you feel. And so what you think and feel is is how you will feel about your friends and what they say to you and what they do to you. And it influences those things. So you, to a degree, need to trust mommy and daddy that we are, are protecting you from things that are going to create weird, funky things in your brain and in your heart. Um, and I mean, he's he's six. So we don't know how much of that he grasped or retained, but he seemed to understand it in the moment that we're just like, you know, yeah, just just engaging with the conversation about influence when when they're really young. And I think too many of us, even as adults, do not consider and we've talked about this show, this on the show numerous times. We don't consider or give discerned consideration to the influences that come into our head. But another thing that's influenced that's interesting to me about Pusher is not just the conversation about like, you know, kind of what you were talking about with the Paul thing about like just self-worth. And I found it fascinating that he is basically, he's a nobody. Why he does this is because he wants to be a somebody. He wants that control and he huh. wants that, um, that, that ability to manipulate and the ability to, to coerce people. That power is uh, enticing to him. And so that's what they that's what Mulder speculates about when he's profiling him is he says uh, he wants to go out with a bang because he's dying. So he wants to he wants to go out and make this this big impact when he dies. And that's why that's part at least partially why he's doing all of these things. And um, I do find that fascinating that there can be people who and we've talked in numerous ways. I don't think I'll need to take a ton of time to unpack this, but we've talked in numerous ways about how. If you have a strong, deep desire in your heart that a positive influence will not guide you in the right direction, a negative influence will swoop in and fill that void. Sure. And a negative influence will pull you in or push you, to use the language of the episode, push you in a different direction, one that is destructive, one that is not uh, of the 
It's not of the, de- the degree or direction that you want your life and personhood to be headed in. So that's, you know, those are in broad strokes sort of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching Pusher is that combination of self-worth and, and influence in negative and destructive directions. It's interesting while you're talking, I know we need to pivot towards home. <laughs> <laughs> um but I find this interesting uh, in as Pusher raises these raises this conversation and raises these questions or or observations about manipulation and coercion and influence. What and 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 perhaps there's a lesson here you can help me tease out, but what Mulder has and and he's the hero of the show and so naturally he's going to be the 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 person that saves the day or whatever um he and scully sometimes together sometimes individually but assessing that final climactic scene the russian roulette scene um ultimately so spoiler alert scully in a mirror sees a fire alarm in the hallway runs to it pulls the fire alarm it breaks pusher's thrall on Mulder, and and that resolves the story but but so so you could make a case well eventually Mulder would succumb to what's happening to him anyway but what is fascinating is is what keeps pusher at bay via Mulder is Mulder's will is, is a very yes. strong will and i think there's something interesting there about this sort of shakespearean to thine own self be true idea this you have to you have to know that you have to know yourself and have a self-awareness that is shielded and girded and equipped to engage and recognize and perhaps battle against the external factors of life that are going to try to persuade you to a direction. Does that make sense at all? Sure. Oh, absolutely. It does. Yes. You know, yes. Um, which is why we see in children so easily manipulated, you know, is they, they don't have. A, a, a mature sense of self or now they do have a strong will. And I understand that, but I don't know if that makes sense or, or how those are, you know, correlating. Well, no, but that will is not directed and I don't have these thoughts formulated coherently. So maybe they'll stumble right. out, but, but that will is almost instinctual at that point. That will is as base as I want a thing. Why do I not have this thing? Right. So, you know, when they're babies, they cry when they are discomforted or, or upset or hungry or anything else. They just, it's just a cry. It's not even an expression of anything. It's just a cry. And then as they grow up, they mature into, well, now they can, deliberately express certain desires or uh, certain things that they want or people they want to be with people they don't want to be around and then even that goes and and matures and adds on these these multiple layers uh, you know what this might be a stretch but i think there might be an opportunity to to tie these two together and, and move into home because i think another element that you're dealing with in home is a uh, I know you're dealing with the conversation about inbreeding, which is this whole other side thing, but it is very much the peacocks are very de-evolutionary. They are very sure. like on this base. Well, sort Mulder of even says that he says that's yeah, this, this is, this is, you know, animalistic at its most basic, you know, defense, yes. defense of the, in this case, their mother, but defense of their den protecting their yes. own. Yeah. So I'm sorry to, yes. to cl- no, go where, go where you were going. 
So, and, and these two episodes kind of in tandem, I mean, we said earlier that they were dissimilar, but depending on how you want to approach it, I think maybe they are actually in dialogue because with Pusher, you have a maturity of self, but a, an abuse of that level of power. And in home, you have almost pure will and almost pure reaction and and biological instinct as it right. were but granted at such a d uh, such an animalistic uh expression of it that it is monstrous so it, you see the uh the tendency that can happen in someone who is a fully fully fleshed out fully formed human being and somebody who has uh, a more base level operating system and and one of the things that is interesting about home is yeah that they it opens with their burial of their progeny so it's so it's this it's this idea that the there is no future like there there is no future for the, for these for these peacock people and that's the thing is that that uh this that, this I found fascinating like their car is like a white cadillac which right. is, you know, and, uh, and and that's like, you know, when you think about these sort of quintessential Americana ideas, right, one of right. them is this, you know, a Cadillac, either a pink one or a white one or a black one. And, and so it's like, you know, a Cadillac is one of these things that you that sort of gets connected to frequently sort of the American dream ideal, as right. it were. Um, and so, you know, that's their mode of transportation is this Cadillac. And and what are they doing? They're like, we just have a plot of land and we are uh, we're keeping to ourselves. We're minding our own business. And it's interesting. I feel like the episode was perhaps intentionally very subversive to these these sorts of thoughts of of. I'm, I'm trying to resist using the phrase the American dream because it's such a big concept that we don't really have. Uh, a, well, I'd, hesit- I'd, hesit- I'd hesitate to say the American dream, but Americana is not far off. I mean, think about it. We've already referenced the wonderful, wonderful song. That's a fifties do off. Yes. Yes. You know, these are that, that's what you hear when you walk into the diner. Um, right. right. And you've got, I did want to caveat real quickly. You said there's no future here, and, and in a very literal sense, you're probably right. But one of the last lines of the episode is Ma Peacock right. from the trunk saying, "You can't keep a peacock down." Yes, you and know. they will find another home. She right, right. Like, yeah, they yeah, will you're find right, another right. Pl- another home. But and, the, uh, those yeah. those American touch points. Did, this was fascinating. I don't know if you heard me reference this on get out conversation with anthony which by the way we didn't reference this last week that was a great conversation that was a really good oh episode. yeah gosh i feel so remiss that we didn't say it last week but yes anthony thank you again for being on you'll be back it's all good i mean i i, I was i was halfway there vocally but it was i was all there every other way but uh did you hear ma peacock refer to the war of northern aggression Oh, I missed that line. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. Well, that's, and so, so you're, you're making this case, which I, th- you started to pivot away, but I think is valuable that the episode is a subversion of legacy and lineage and mm. purity of lineage. Mm. Um, you know, of this snapshot of a certain era. Um, right. I guarantee yes. you. It was intentional to cast an African-American man and name him after a character who is in the arcana of American pop culture lore. Yes. You know, um, what I and and so I don't have a ton beyond this formulated, but what I wrote down primarily of theme, I hope I'm not 
hijacking what you were trying to say or where you were going. Um, oh, no, you're fine. I'm more exploring. So, is, yeah. is, is Sheriff Andy towards the front end of the episode saying to Mulder and Scully, I'd like it if the way things are around here didn't have to change. Yeah. And I was like, there it yeah, is. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Which is exactly what the peacocks want. Which is, wow. I yeah. don't know if this, you know, that, that they just want to, to be who they are and where they are and that be the end of it. Um, now, granted, they drive over to Andy Taylor's house and beat him and his wife to death with a baseball bat. So there's, there's, there's other things going on there too, besides sure. just their own. These are, these are not as in another episode X files that we love the postmodern Prometheus. These are not benevolent monsters. These are not gracious, gentle monstrosities. You know, um, the, the, this is, there's a malice here and there's a malevolence. Here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I definitely think because how will it, stay the same how will it keep from changing it will keep from changing by everybody keeping the secrets right whether or not you know where the bodies are buried literally keeping the secrets not saying anything not inviting a lot of the other influences in and maybe that's a maybe that's a good opportunity to bring in the scripture that i had in mind which honestly with this scripture it was less hey can, can i can i can i interrupt you real quick it, it um because because I don't know exactly where you're going here, but I want to introduce an idea that may give you fuel and give us fuel to to maybe get back to that. So you've got it's fascinating. You you pointed you you illuminated this even more. So you've got the sheriff who says, "I'd like it if the way things are around here didn't have to change." Who is ostensibly sort of the hero of the town, the good guy, if you will. Right. And right. then you've got this flip side, these really the, the kind of dark underbelly of everything uh, in the peacocks who are fighting tooth nail baseball bat stubby arm to make sure things don't change either and sure to to steer to to steer hard in our white cadillac into themes uh because you know we're we're, we're i gushed too much about the x-files on the front end of the episode um i think so much read about the moment we live in right now and we are recording I, it is not my interest to go deep on this moment, but I want to make reference to what is happening in our world. We just had the state of the union and I didn't watch it, but um, I did read stuff about it. And, and Andy Taylor's line is American Christendom right now. Yeah. Uh, I would really like it if things didn't have to change around here. Yes. Mm -hmm. But what they, what, that sort of mentality will often use as its bully pulpit to bludgeon you with in a, in a, in a bloody mess as your loved ones look on is, well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This sort of notion that, well, God doesn't change. I can't change. Change is bad. Does this make sense at all? What I'm trying to oh, sort yeah, of it does. prop up yeah, here. Yeah. And, and so you've got this, this push and pull of a mentality that sort of foists its resistance to progress and movement on their interpretation of an immutable God. And what I would sort of say, and perhaps you would say of, well, I hear you. I, I hear you when you say, well, we shouldn't bow to culture and this sort of thing. I really shouldn't use my dismissive Southerner accent. I've grew up in Georgia. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this notion that, well, well, friend, you shouldn't let culture influence faith. Um, you know, just because the culture is doing it doesn't mean the Christian should. Uh, God's the same yesterday and today and forever. Where, where it's kind of like, 
I understand what you're trying to say, but there is still this deep abiding sense that, well, I'm not arguing that God doesn't or, or changes, you know, I, I would argue God's will from eternity, from the beginning to the end is to redeem all the things through the exercised expression of the love he shows to his son, Jesus. So I would say that will never change. I will say our understanding and comprehension of God and our understanding and comprehension of how he works and moves in the world maybe should change occasionally because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm following a long rabbit trail partly just cause I want to set up an interaction with you of like, you know, this, this set, these ideas of, well, the things shouldn't change. Please don't make me change because, and then, right. it, and then it gets assigned to God. Well, God doesn't change. So I don't have to change. Is, mm. it, is this making sense at all? I don't oh know, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've quoted several times. Well, I've, I, I made this phrase up in a moment of witty banter, but uh, the only things that don't change are either divine or dead. We're neither. So if you are not divine, and if you're not dead yet, you are going to change. And resisting that is uh, to push yourself to the only of those two options that you can be, which is dead. Um, we will never be divine. Yes, I agree. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are not. Sure. And I think one of the things that gets lost in this conversation is trying to reconcile an immovable God, which I do agree that he is the same, and the, the, the scripture verse itself even says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't mm. say God. It says mm. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, yes, the, the, the divine is immutable and immovable, but we have precedent, multiple biblical precedent, of moments where God pushed his people into a new place, a new season, a new thing. Sometimes that thing... Uh, strongly resembled a very old thing, and sometimes it was something completely brand new. Right. Um, and and just rattling off a couple of in-pocket examples are when uh, the Lord opened up the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles and invited sure, the Gentiles sure. into it. Talk, talk about a dramatic shift, and it's lost on us because we're Gentiles, So, right, and we've right. been part of the system for Lord knows how long. So it's lost on us how scandalous at that moment it was for the Lord to, through Peter to Cornelius, which we referenced a couple of weeks ago with Get Out, um, that for him to open it up to the Gentiles. And so then, naturally, we begin to experience a movement of God's presence where he begins to open something up to, an, uh, uh, to something that we're not accustomed to or not comfortable with and yeah naturally there's going to be a whole swath of people go no 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 we're not allowed to do that or right, we can't go there right, or we can't do right. that and it's like listen the god you serve who scripture tells us jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever he himself does not change i do not believe he changes but frequently pushes his people to Let's sure, just be that sure. blunt about that. Sure. Frequently pushes his people to. Yeah, go ahead and rest in the awareness that he doesn't change. No, he doesn't. I don't believe he changes. My theology says that he is the same as from the dawn of creation until the end. But he's constantly pushing us to. Sure. Constantly pushing us to open our minds to something that he's known about for millennia and beyond time. So I think that that's where the breakdown happens is we think we don't really believe that God never changes, what we would like to believe is that our understanding of God will never change. Right, that is a right, lie. Right. That is a lie from the enemy to keep us trapped in outdated and destructive ideas. Sure. So what we need to remember and recognize is that we must constantly 
be open to the teaching and instruction of the word and the spirit. We must constant man, I'm doing so much like old school <laughs> like preaching. Well, here, I mean, but, I, but you know, I was we, inviting we gotta us a be bit. open. Right, right. But no, we we have to stay open to the movement of what God's going to do next. And there there is a train of thought. Uh, people who love Jesus and are doing good work and love the Lord, uh, who believe that uh, that that it's done, that there is no more to be learned, that it's just a matter of instructing in systematic theology. I'm not about to engage in uh, an argument with them who can't defend themselves in this conversation. I will simply say I do not believe that. Right, I do not right, see right, that laid right. out in Scripture. I do not see that laid out in history. Um, I believe that the Lord Himself, while divine and never changing is constantly pushing his people to sure and if we want to be part of what the lord's kingdom is doing we best be open to what the spirit is going to tell us about where to go next right because if we right. don't then yes getting back to pusher if we don't uh something else is gonna come in and is going yeah. to yeah. push us in one direction or another yeah. so uh so yeah no we we absolutely must must do that um the 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 scripture that I had in mind is is pretty far afield of this, but I'll but I'll bring it in line, and then we can sort of uh, you know wind the conversation down as we want to. But uh, Luke chapter twelve, verse two through three. Again, this is kind of more the idea of the X Files, not necessarily specific to these two uh, episodes, but it, it does apply. It says, um, "But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known." Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. What I will say is that we can rest on the knowledge that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and tell ourselves that we've arrived, as it were, to use that phrase, right. to tell ourselves you know, to use that phrase and say, we have made it. There's nothing new to learn. There's no more change to be made. There's no more growth uh, right, to be had. Right. Now it's just a matter of blessings and abundance and everything that's just going to get poured out for our own comfort and safety before the Canamites come and eat us to throw back. <laughs> um, but, but we do ourselves a disservice because if we are not following the Man, I'm going to get old school biblical here. If we're not following the pillar of fire, if we're not following the pillar of cloud, if we're not following the spirit to use New Testament language, if we're not following the Lord, then we're moving backwards. Right. We're dying. Right. Right. It's it's his it's he is the life. And if we're following him, we're moving into life and light and home and promised land. And if we are not, we are dying. We are are digressing and we're moving away. So to resist where the spirit is taking us is to resist that movement into life and into wholeness and into goodness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that we ourselves who want to keep these things buried and who want to keep these uh, these uh, I, I hesitate to call them outdated because frequently what the Lord is pushing us into is, as I said, something that's very old. Right. And just needs right, to be revived. Right. But. So it's not just about outdated modes of operation. Sometimes it is simply about control. We want to control where the narrative goes, and we don't get to. Right. Because the Lord is going to be the one who is going to push this. And I will say this, like, it's going to go there. Like, it's sure. going to happen. Sure. One of my sure. personal feelings on it, and man, this is way too big of a statement to make this late in the episode, but one of my personal feelings on it is if if the kingdom does not wake up and start following its king, then... 
culture itself is going to go where the Lord wants things to go. Like that's just going to happen. But if you let the culture do it, or if you let someone that's not spirit led do it, then you're going to have all these add ons on that maybe are contrary to the kingdom. And that's something that I think the kingdom needs to wake up and recognize that they are dropping the ball on is if, if they're not leading the charge in the conversation for justice, if they're not leading the, the charge for the conversation of dignity and rights and all these other sorts of things, then it's still going to happen because I believe the Lord wills it, but it's going to be led by somebody other than the church. And then sure. who knows what we're going to get when that happens. Is that, that's a big statement. To that is, that's big. Sense to you? That's big. I'm I mean, telling that's, you, that's, uh, getting on my soapbox. Now. You are. It's, I feel like we're in that scene in the second matrix movie when you, you know, it's all the dancers and everything like with the kingdom got there, but it's not exactly what we would have envisioned. <laughs> what like first. So, oh, um, brother. Well, yeah. you know, I, I I guess it's time to bring it bring it home, if you will, because because you know you, you just you, 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 you cannot keep a peacock down, and we've learned that <laughs> we've learned that so, well. Reed, uh, I am so I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful to these listeners who I mean I'm generally thankful for them. But X Files, man, we talked about it. We did it. Maybe yeah. when TV Godpost Two rolls around in 2019, if culture itself we'll it still exists if this country is still around and technology <laughs> supports doing this maybe we'll revisit some x-files we'll do this again yeah we'll do this again I'd, i would do it again in a heartbeat because yeah there's so much to choose from right um so yeah listeners stay tuned to hear how you can continue the conversation because the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation i don't think i said that last week but um yeah stay tuned to hear how you can um get in touch with us and uh, nathan Read. Let's do this again next week. Let's do it. Let's 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 come back to Grandma's bathroom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you next time, guys, on TV God Posts. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at the Fear of God. Visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or to post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the official episode posts. Email us at FearOfGodPodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.